Robinson, Sabonis, two-man game inside. Domas, dominant, dynamite inside on that one. Not afraid, and he got some dog in. And the steal, they can tie it with a three. Murray, yes! A Murray miracle in the desert! Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez, and today I have Matt George of ABC10 and the Locked On Kings Podcast joining me. What's going on, Matt? How you doing, man? I'm good, Brendan. It was so good last night. I know you feel the same way to be in the Golden One Center for actual Kings basketball. Maybe it doesn't count because it's preseason, but regardless, seeing the Kings play on their home hardwood again, it makes you excited and even more impatient for the real Kings versus Blazers uh, coming up here in, in uh, a handful of days. Yeah, hard to not feel good about it. We're recording this one the day after the Kings had their, uh, like you pointed out, preseason home opener against the Portland Trailblazers. Um, Before we go into specifics of the game, just to get the injuries out of the way and guys that were unavailable, Rashawn Holmes didn't play with a non-COVID-related illness. Um, Doesn't seem like there's anything long-term concerning there, my understanding. I think it's just some sort of stomach bug that's going on. It'd be nice to see Rashawn get into a little bit of a rhythm, um, but he was not available. And then on Portland's side, there was no Gary Payton II, who is recovering from some sort of core injury. And then Justice Winslow was out with also a non-COVID-related illness. So, Matt, coming into Game 2, um, what were some of the things that you were keeping an eye on after we had seen the the debut in L.A.? Well, really quick, too, I do want to say it's a bummer that Rashawn didn't play in last night's game because it was such a good team overall performance, especially offensively. But they did great things defensively that I wanted to see what Rashawn looked like because I think Rashawn would have had a lot of success. I thought Alex Len played very, very well. Uh, coming off the bench in that backup big role because Rashawn is out. That is Rashawn's spot. And then even Namias Keita got to, uh, some playing time at the end of the game, which I don't think he would have gotten had Rashawn been healthy. I think that would have been uh, Alex Len's spot there. Uh, and he played really, really well. I think it was hard to be a Sacramento Kings, step on the floor last night and not vibe with what the Sacramento Kings were doing as a whole, as a team. Uh, so it's a, it's a bummer because I think Rashawn would have shined and given us quite a few highlights last night. But heading into the game, Brennan, Honestly, I was uh, one of the main things I was looking for and one of the main things I was happy to see was the fact that KZ Akpala was starting again. Even though I'm not a fan of that decision, even though I think it's Keegan Murray's spot that KZ is just keeping uh, keeping warm at this point, I'm glad that Mike gave it more than just one game sample size. Like I, I wanted to see multiple games of what it looked like. And this game, while it's not a completely accurate representation of what rotations are going to look like for the regular season, when he cuts his rotation down to probably nine or 10 guys, it was at least a little more realistic than playing 20 guys in Los Angeles. Right? So I wanted to see what Casey Akpala would look like one guarding Damian Lillard out of the gate, which he did. Uh, and two, in a bit larger of a sample size. However, which I'm sure we'll talk about, he still didn't play a whole heck of a lot in the first half, which is a little bit telling to me, but also, like I said, we'll we'll discuss that. But I was definitely looking for that. I was hoping to see a little more of De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk together, and we got extremely limited uh, stretches of the two of them together. Malik would come into the game, Fox would still be in, and like the next dead ball, Fox would sub out and vice versa. Uh, So I wanted to see a little more of that, but really I just wanted to see consistencies carry over from the successes of game one into game two, the the team running in transition, uh, the team moving the basketball, moving off of the ball. Uh, I, and I wanted to see a, a consistent focus overall, just a consistent way of playing the game from LA to Portland. I didn't want to see them look completely different even if it looked sharper i wanted to see things that look the same because i think consistency is going to be one of the keys to sacramento actually achieving their peak this year so those were the main things that i was keeping an eye out for and pretty much all of them with the exception of the the monk and fox thing uh i i i was given last night and i was happy about it yeah they definitely checked a lot of your boxes uh probably checked most boxes that anybody had coming in it was just a a killer game for them in the best way possible. And to start with your point on on KZ and him getting that starting lineup, I think after Mike Brown had announced that in pregame, I kind of started to think, you know, I wonder if they're going to throw him on Damian Lillard. We saw him do that with the Nigerian national team when they played Team USA. It was actually that exact same matchup. Lillard was a starting point guard on Team USA in that friendly, and he put Akpala on him. Um, and I just want to, like, highlight the versatility of – six eight seven two wingspan Akpala to go from 
game one, his primary assignment is a six, eight LeBron. And then he goes to game two and his primary assignment is what Lillard six, two, six, three at, at best and did a solid job on both. Um, Mike Brown pointed out, I thought it was pretty, pretty funny. I think the first thing that got asked him in post game was from, from Sean Cunningham. And he said something along the lines of, Hey, it was a pretty perfect game, right? Is there anything you can really feel like you need to still clean up or, or take from this and, and need to get better. And Mike Brown right away, very dead faced was like, Oh, there's a lot that we could have done better. Um, and one of the first things he pointed out was, was fouling. And I think that's one aspect that while I've really liked Akpala's defense and I think he's maybe not set the tone, but I think that there is value in putting him out there and making these primary guys uncomfortable at first and pressuring them. Um, he has dealt with foul trouble in that first game. He only played 10 minutes um, and picked up two fouls in that time, but specifically in that second one against Portland, he only played 12 minutes and ended up with four fouls. There was a handful of guys that kind of dealt with some foul trouble, but I think I'll take that with an aggressive defense compared to a very passive one that we kind of saw throughout the course of last year that probably got worse and worse. Um, do you think that there's moments where Akpala is like borderline unplayable on offense? Um, the defense has a lot of value, but he hasn't hit a three. He's only taken what he took two yesterday. And then the game before he took two, he's not known for a, his three point shooting or anything. But do you think there's moments where that's going to be a really real concern for him? I don't think unplayable is is fair to say at this point, because I also don't think Mike Brown has left him in long enough to where he becomes a detriment, if that makes sense. Like. I learned pretty quickly and I'm learning this morning that I have a little bit of the villain argument from last night because I, I, I spent a good amount of time on the Locked on Kings podcast after last night's game talking about how I think it's time to end the KZ Akpala starting experiment. And it's not because of anything that KZ Akpala is necessarily doing wrong. I like what KZ brings defensively. I went into this training camp believing that KZ was going to fight to make the roster. Now I believe he's going to be a consistent part of the Kings rotation and a go-to defender. So like, I have tremendous respect for what KZ Akpala does. That being said, I feel like we're just delaying the inevitable here. I feel like we're just being a little too cute with things. Like This is Keegan Murray's spot. Keegan Murray is ready for this moment. Keegan Murray was drafted with the belief, both with his age and his experience, that he was going to be an immediate impact for the Kings, which he already has been, and he will be, whether he comes off the bench or plays as a starter. And that's one thing that Brennan, I would love to talk to you about later on in the show is I thought that was a consistency with Keegan Murray that he seems to fit and play well with whoever he played with. But one thing that jumped off the page to me last night is the Kings, whatever groups were out there, they knew how to play with one another. And it's because of Mike Brown's system. And that was really eye opening and really encouraging to me. But going back to the Keegan Murray versus Casey Akpala thing. Um, if you want to look at it the same way you look at like a opener in baseball, right? Not a starting pitcher, but someone who comes out, basically sets the tone, gets through the first uh, couple of innings or first couple of batters to make sure there's not a like a shell shock start for the opposing team and then gets out of the way and then the long-term starter kind of comes in. If you want to look at it that way, I understand because I do think Casey Akpala comes in and does help set a tone defensively. Except when you look at both of these games, Two-game sample size, not nearly enough to make a full-fledged regular season argument, but it's all the, the the context that we have. Both games, Mike Brown has had to take an early timeout in the first quarter because he didn't like what he was seeing on the defensive end of the floor. That's not on KZ Akpala, but my point is if KZ is in there to set a tone defensively and the team still isn't setting the tone, then at that point, you're like it's 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 at best neutral value. Versus Keegan Murray comes in, and maybe he's not as versatile of a defender as Casey Akpala is, but I believe Keegan Murray is instant offense, he's instant production, and he can give you that right out of the gate to where instead of worrying about the other team punching you in the mouth first, maybe you can punch them. Like, I think Keegan Murray is the starter on this Kings team. I think it's only a matter of time. I personally would like to see Mike Brown uh, turn these final two preseason games over to Keegan in the starting lineup to just let that group get used to playing with one another. But regardless, starting lineups are starting lineups, closing lineups in a close game. I think we all know that Keegan Murray is going to be on the floor in those moments. And that's what matters. But to me, we're just delaying the inevitable here. Definitely understand where you're coming from. I think most people um, would probably agree with you. I, I think it is weirdly Keegan's spot to, to lose. 
Um, I mean, Keegan doesn't have it yet, but it feels like his spot. And I think one thing Chris Watkins said at one point, um, Sacktown Sports 1140 is like, maybe there's an aspect of once you give it to Keegan, you can't take it back exactly. Um, and I guess that you can, but I think that um, the way the fan base would react might not be amazing. And to your point, like closing is what really matters, right? And this is something Mike Brown even talked about in pregame um, that closing games, even closing halves is what really matters less than the starters. And I think that as long as Keegan is in the closing lineups, I'm fine. I think that KZ is the best defender on this roster. Um, they don't have very many great defenders on the roster. So take that for what you will. But I do think that KZ is the best one that they have. I think that his aggressiveness on defense, even if that's led to some fouls and could be toned down a little bit, has still been impactful early in games. Like Dame Lillard didn't make a triple last night and ended the game with, was it four points, eight points um, on two of 10 from the field. Like it's an outlier Dame Lillard night. It's not all just because of KC, KZ, but I think that he had an impact there. Um, and yeah, Keegan's not going to kill you on defense or anything like that. It's not two polar opposites. I actually thought Keegan was pretty solid on defense in this game. He had a couple moments. He got switched on to Damian Lillard and did a lot better than I would have expected defending him in isolation. Um, I, I do think that there's a clear difference between KZ and Keegan on the defensive end, but there's also a clear difference on the offensive end in Keegan's favor. And he, I mean, it was expected that he was going to be an NBA ready rookie, but I think this is like taking it to the max. You know, for for him to come into this game and go five of six from the field, all from beyond the arc and within the flow of the offense uh, for 16 points, he pulls down three boards as well and assists thrown in there. I've been happily surprised with his passing in these first two games. Um, and then you also get two steals and a block in there as well. Like Keegan was just very active. And I think De'Aaron said post game, like it's you go, you just look up at the score at the scoreboard and you're like, when did Keegan all of a sudden have 16 points and that's the nature of how he plays. And I think that's such a compliment to him. Um, I'm curious, Matt, as, as somebody who was really a big uh, Keegan Murray believer and, and fan of the pick at the time, like, is there anything that's even surprised you from what you've seen? Oh, absolutely. Like I, I, even someone who it was as high on Keegan Murray as I, as I have been, I did not expect Keegan to have this much success right out of the gate. I thought, that Keegan was going to be a good fit for this Kings team going forward. I thought that Keegan's consistency and his composure and him being a known commodity was not a negative, but a positive for a Kings team that has struggled so heavily with inconsistencies over the last almost two decades. I thought it would be a breath of fresh air. I didn't expect this man to consistently put up the really, really good numbers that he's been putting up. I did not expect Keegan Murray to be a top five player on a team with playoff expectations right out of the gate. Like, look, you look at the Orlando Magic, right? And you can say Paolo Bancaro might be their best player already, or he's in the mix for top two, top three. He's going to put up ridiculous numbers. But there's a difference between being the top player on a team that you know what they are, which is towards the bottom of their conference, and a team in Sacramento that Keegan can honestly be a top three player for. We were talking about last night before the game, who's going to be the third leading scorer on this Kings team. I think there's a very big argument for it being Keegan Murray. And that's a team that is looking towards the postseason, who is expecting to make the postseason. And if they were to make the postseason, Keegan would play a massive role in how they fared in the postseason as well. Like there's a big difference in that. So even if I can pat myself on the back and say, man, I, I felt good about this Keegan Murray pick and I'm glad to be somewhat validated. There's no way that I or anybody who's a Keegan Murray fan can claim that we knew that Keegan was going to have this kind of success. But Brendan, really quickly, I, I do want to go back to the KZ Akpala. Again, not to build an argument against KZ like he's doing anything wrong, because I actually don't think KZ's doing anything wrong. I really don't. I think KZ's been very effective uh, on the on the defensive end of the floor. But people are pointing to Dame Lillard's slow night. People are pointing to LeBron James's slow night. And KZ uh, started the Lakers game guarding LeBron. The issue that I have with that, while he was impactful and he did help set the tone against those players, KZ Akpala played five minutes in the first half last night. He played the first five minutes of the game, didn't come back in until it was the second unit midway through the third quarter. Damian Lillard played the majority of his minutes in the first half and struggled offensively. A, a lot of it was against Kevin Herter. Some of it was against Keegan Murray. Some of it was against De'Aaron Fox. Like, it's not a, we can give KZ Akpala credit, 
but it has to be in comparison to what the other defenders on the team did. I think Dame also kind of had a rough night a little bit. I think the Blazers as a whole had a rough night. So I'm not saying anybody on the Kings or the Kings defense shut down Damian Lillard by any means. But if you're going to say, wow, KZ Akpala did it really good on Damian Lillard because this is the stat line that he put up, you have to recognize that he was a very, very small part of that. And it's the same thing with the Los Angeles Lakers game. KZ Akpala played the first few minutes of that game as well. Didn't play for the rest of the first half because the starters were done at the end of the half. So was LeBron James. But LeBron ended up playing 16 minutes, went 0 of 7 from the field, finished with just four points. Some of it against KZ, most of it against the rest of the team. So that's that's where I, I look at KZ as a starter. And I say, I don't see enough of his individual output to suggest that it is more valuable for the Kings out of the gate than Keegan Murray's individual output from start to finish. That's where I'm kind of at with that. I think the value in, in KZ's defense and totally agree with you that like, it shouldn't all be credited to KZ, but I think the value in him on this roster defensively is the different options that you can throw at these star players at a, at a Damian Lillard at a LeBron James. Like the Kings didn't really have options last Mm -hmm. year. And this year, the fact that Dame Lillard has to, First, start the game getting used to being covered by this 6'8", 7'2", wingspan. And then later, he's being checked by by Kevin Herter, who's got decent size himself, but is going to play defense very differently. Um, and then later, you're going to see Dave, uh, Davion Mitchell on him. And like I think the fact that you can just throw different bodies that are going to give these star creators different looks in different just they have to think a little bit more as they deal with different bodies defensively I think is where a lot of value is and I definitely see where you're coming from and I'm probably with you about KZ starting um, and or really more so Keegan starting in place of KZ because like you said KZ hasn't done anything wrong I'm with that as well I I think that if they still want to start him and, and just so maybe from the jump the Damian Lillard, LeBron James isn't getting a peek right away at what they're actually going to have to deal with all night. And instead, you don't get that look until a little bit later in the game. Like, that's fine with me as long as Keegan is closing games, because that's definitely um, where he should be. And and I would expect that, that Keegan moves into the starting lineup sooner rather than later. It, it feels pretty hard to not do that. And I'm glad. I'm the, sorry. Really, really quick, Brian. Yeah, I want to say I, I'm glad you brought up Davion Mitchell too because I didn't even mention him. I thought he did an excellent job on on Dame last night as well. He did. He he definitely did. I, I think that maybe he could have. Um, he, offensively, he hasn't had a great start to the year, but defensively, he's been as expected and and as expected is one of the best perimeter defenders in the league already going into year two. So, uh, was really happy with what we got from Davion last night for sure. And part of what. Keegan has really brought to this group, but not only Keegan, Kevin Herter, Malik Monk, Terrence Davis playing a little bit more after being out for a large majority of last year is three point shooting. And that was something that was emphasized like crazy going into this offseason and coming into the year. And the Kings end up going 21 of 45 from mm-hmm. three. Um, I believe the franchise record was 22 made threes that they did one time last year. Um, so this would have been the second most threes they made an entire game last year. And I think that that has to be acknowledged as a little bit of an outlier. Um, the Kings are definitely improved when it comes to shooting. Um, but there is a factor here of the Kings just made a lot of shots. There's going to be nights where a lot go in. They made 22 in one game last year, even though it was a much worse three-point shooting team. Sometimes shots are just going to fall. And another aspect of that is, they had 34 assists on 45 mm-hmm. made shots. So they were getting guys open with really, really good ball movement. And I think that um, 34 assists actually would have been a season high last year as well. I believe their season high last year was 33. So the ball movement was on point. Um, I do think there's partially an aspect of the Blazers not being very good on the perimeter defense, specifically without Gary Payton. I think that's one of the big things that he really brings to that roster. And maybe you throw Justice Winslow in there as well. But how much of last night to you was an outlier of of playing a poor perimeter defensive team and a lot of shots going in compared to like, oh, this is really promising moving forward? I think you're absolutely right about the the uh, amount of threes, the 21 threes being an outlier, because last night was a classic case in the NBA of when it rains, it pours like 
everybody had it going. Everybody had the hot hand. That gave everybody coming into the game confidence that they wanted to join the party. And it was almost polar opposite from how much the Kings struggled from three-point range against the Los Angeles Lakers. There are going to be nights where this happens for the Kings and we all feel fantastic because the Kings should be blowing out their opponents if they're shooting this well. To me, what jumps more off the page, Brendan, in both these games is the quality of shot that the Kings are getting. Last night, it wasn't just that the Kings were making 21 threes. It's that the vast majority of those 21 threes were really good looks and they came within the flow of the offense. There were a couple of them. Like I remember Kevin Herter tracking down a long rebound, jogging up the floor and just pulling up for a three and, and he drained. It's like, cool. All right. You're feeling yourself right now. But the majority of threes were De'Aaron Fox coming off curl action, catch and shoot, or just everybody uh, moving the ball around to kick out to an open corner three. Keegan Murray hit his first three just in the flow of the offense. He missed his first three pointer. And then he hit three straight, all of them off of kickouts, two of them in the exact same spot on the floor playing two man game with a big, I think, I don't know if all of it was DeMontis Sabonis. I think at some point or one point it was Alex Len as well. Regardless, it was flow. And the flow was opening up a lot of good looks from three-point range that the Kings were hitting. And that's what stood out to me, I think, the most out of anything in this preseason this far, or thus far, Brendan, is the fact that the Kings know what to do on offense. Like, they're still trying to push the tempo. They're still trying to play fast. I think they had 22 fast break points last night. But they're not relying on the fast break nearly as heavily as they did in 2018, right? When they were just running people out of gyms and it was get the ball and everybody sprint and beat everybody down the floor. This time it's, no, they're still moving fast. Montes Sabonis took the ball off the floor a few times. De'Aaron Fox took the ball off the floor. Davion Mitchell was pushing the tempo. Everybody, as soon as they get that rebound, they're going and Mike Brown is yelling at them to go. But it's not head down, full on sprint, everybody get to the basket. It's run with a purpose. Everybody move, get to an open spot and find the right shot. And the Kings were doing that last night. And that's why they were rewarded with so many makes and so many assists. The fact that this team has played two games together. If you're looking at the training camp roster, you see 10 of 20 guys have never played on this team before. And two of them, at least two, there might be more. DeMontis Sabonis, Trey Lyles only joined the team at the trade deadline last season. There might be another one that I'm, that I'm blanking on, Brennan. Help me out if I am. But you have over half your roster that has barely played together. And in two games, your assist-to-turnover ratio has been phenomenal. Now, the Kings did turn the ball over 20 times last night, which is way too many turnovers. But when you have 34 assists, it, it, it numbs that pain a little bit. The fact that this team has played so well together, there's been such cohesiveness, there's been camaraderie on the offensive end of the floor, regardless of who's on the floor. A lot of that I credit to how hard these players are working and how much they're paying attention. But you have to give a lot of love and a lot of credit to Coach Brown and his staff for putting together a system that clearly, even after just two weeks of training camp, everyone knows what's expected of them. And and where that jumps off the page to me is not just role players who come in and, and, and are effective. It's De'Aaron Fox playing on the ball versus De'Aaron Fox playing off the ball. Last season, when De'Aaron Fox was playing off the ball because Tyrese Halliburton was here, Fox just stood in the corner because he had no idea what the hell to do. Walton never gave him anything. Gentry never gave him anything. They had no idea. This year, De'Aaron knows what to do when he's off the ball, because it's the same thing that the other guards are expected to do when he is on the ball. I like that consistency. That is the biggest difference that I've seen from Mike Brown and from the Kings this season so far. Their, <laughs> their offense, I've been kind of asking a lot of questions on how guy, how comfortable guys feel going into this and and just how easy or, or maybe difficult to some guys it is to learn this free-flowing offense and just kind of reading and reacting and there's a lot of chemistry involved, right? And I think the way that you're pointing out, this team already looks like they have phenomenal, maybe phenomenal, I should slow down a little bit, but really solid chemistry, um, all things considered with the turnover that you highlighted as well, I think is really promising. And that's probably a factor of a lot of these guys being here throughout the course of the offseason. We heard a lot about that, that these guys spent a lot of time together throughout the course of the offseason. Not everybody, obviously, Sabonis being the big one missing there since he was playing over in Eurobasket. Um, but most people say playing with him is, is pretty easy and he's just going to reward you for doing the right thing, which makes sense out there. And to the point of pace, um, because Mike Brown is still screaming his ass off. It's very yeah. Jaeger, Walton, Gentry, like we've seen it with everyone. He's screaming when they get aboard to run in transition. But to your point, it's not running to just go straight to the basket. It's running to go get in your set. That way they have as much time as possible 
to try and create a good look. And I think that they're also playing the margins on the other end. Like KZ Paula, Damian, um, Donovan Mitchell are picking up Damian Lillard, Anthony Simons, whoever the initiator is, full court. So that way the other team has as little time as possible to run their offense. Like Mike Brown is playing these margins and he's talked about playing, paying close attention to detail a lot. Um, the other area that they've been playing margins is the rebounding game. And we saw last year, the Kings were one of the worst rebounding teams in the league, especially until DeMontis Sabonis gets there. Now Sabonis gets there and but I think he finished third in rebounds per game last year with 12, almost 13 a game. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he finished the league, finished as the league leader in rebounds this year, considering Sacramento's roster. But last year, 27th in rebounds per game for the Kings and 21st in offensive rebounds per game with nine and a half a game. And Mike Brown said post game that, quote, it's one of the things that me and the organization are emphasizing. We're all big in the offensive rebounding category from Monty on down. We feel like coming up with extra possessions in this league can be really helpful. And we have some long athletic guys that are capable of hitting that glass and hitting the glass the right way. We just want to make sure we don't get beat in transition when we do it. End quote. I thought it was really interesting to hear him say from the top on down. And I think that McNair's a guy that coming out of Houston was really accredited for kind of being a middleman and communicator between the front office and the coaching staff. And Mike Brown being Monty McNair's hire when maybe that wasn't the case with Luke Wall in, there seems to be a continuity among this group. And the rebounding um, emphasis, I think, is something that's great. Obviously, 54 to 49 on the boards in that first game against the, a Lakers team that has a lot of size. And then in that second game, they end up with 47 boards to 29 of Portland. I don't even think I realized until right now, 29 boards only <laughs> is crazy for Portland. And Sacramento had uh, 13 offensive rebounds. Mike Brown highlighted the three that HB had. Um, there were also two from two from Domas, two from Trey Lyles, two from Alex Len, and then you got one from Della Vadova, Davis, Kada, and Fox as well. Um, playing the rebounds is something that is obviously going to be very beneficial for the Kings, but I'm curious how they strike this balance. It's honestly something that's caught me off guard because I thought Mike Brown would be a guy of like, we need to sprint back in transition. But if they can figure out this balance of doing that, not getting beat in transition and still crashing the glass, like that could be a really big plus for this team moving forward. I think that's a kind of school of, of Steve Kerr and the Golden State Warriors in a lot of ways too, because the Golden State Warriors always seem to know how to get those back-breaking offensive rebounds and second-chance opportunities, especially late in games when winning time mattered. Like, they were such a hard team to stop defensively. And the Sacramento Kings can be a very difficult team to stop defensively that when you do force them to miss a shot or force them into a bad shot and they get a fresh 14 and they can set up and do it again, it's demoralizing for any defense who has to go to war for 24 seconds initially just to just to have a chance to get out and transition and, and, and get back into the game on the other end of the floor. So I think there's a mental side of that too, to where not only are there more points to be, uh, to be grabbed, there are more rebounds to be grabbed, there are more opportunities because of offensive rebounds, but it's a chance to, you know, in some ways take the wind out of your sails just as much as a big time three or a transition bucket, not allowing a defense or rather an offense to get set. Like it, it to me, there's that, aspect of things as well and I, I like what you said about Monty McNair and uh and and coach Brown because like their cohesion their cohesiveness it couldn't be more obvious from day one I mean with the amount of players that the Kings have brought in training camp wise that were former Mike Brown guys or former guys on the Nigerian national team Casey Akpala, Chima Maneke, Chimezi Metu was already here, Matthew Delavadova from his time in Cleveland, Quinn Cook from his time in Golden State like they have been on the same page. And, and I know I've shared this before. Like, this is the most confident, and I've said this throughout the summer, this is the most confident and most comfortable that I've seen Monty McNair at any point during his Kings tenure. Some of that could be because he's really finally now in year three grown into the position and, and feels like he really has his feet underneath him. But I also think he has his head coach here. No disrespect to Luke Walton or Alvin Gentry, but he has his coach here, the one that he selected. And both of them agree on what the best path is going forward. And he completely trusts that Mike Brown is going to make the decisions that make 
sense for both of them, that check the boxes for both of them, even if he does not have to whisper in Mike Brown's ear and tell Mike what the front office wants. Like they're on the same page. And that that shows already in how these two uh, preseason games are gone. And that is a breath of fresh air considering even over the last five, six, seven years, the conflict and the disconnect that the Kings have had at times between their coaching staff and front office. One of the other things that stood out to me throughout both of these games, noticed it right away when they were playing the Lakers, that Mike Brown was really quick to call timeouts and yes. correct things. Yes. And uh, we saw more of the same in game two against Portland. And obviously it stood out to you as well. You asked, I think, Terrence Davis, but also Mike Brown um, about these quick timeouts. And uh, yeah, you were the one to ask those questions. What stood out to you in, in those responses? Yeah, well, the I mean, the fact that in the first, second, and third quarters, Brown took timeouts within the first two minutes in every single quarter. Every single quarter. And after those timeouts, all three of them, the Kings made adjustments. They didn't look loads better. They didn't suddenly remember how to all like play basketball. But Mike was not afraid to use his timeout to say, I know we just had a break. I know we just had a halftime. I know we just talked things over, but you're not doing what I wanted you to do. Let's refocus and let's get this right. Like, and the fact that he's doing that in preseason, I expect him to do that in regular season as well. And this kind of got on my radar in the Lakers game because Sacramento got off to the really bad start. I think they were down 12 to three at the start of the Laker game. He called a timeout. And then after the Lakers started the game five of seven from the field, they went two of their next 10 shots. Like, and that, that allowed the Kings to kind of get back into it. It was a five-point game at halftime, and then we know how the second half went. Like, to me, that's that's very indicative of who Mike Brown is as a head coach. I'm going to correct these mistakes right now. I'm going to coach you right now. I'm not going to wait to call a timeout when we're on the wrong end of an 8 or 9-0 run. And I asked Mike Brown about his philosophy of saving timeouts versus using timeouts. And, and I like what Mike said. It was really kind of the only time he had a cheeky is cheeky Mike Brown, Brown grin. He basically said, look, like I could save all my timeouts and we can be getting our ass kicked. Or if I see something wrong, I'm going to use my timeouts and I'm going to correct it. I love that approach. It's simple and it makes sense because whether or not you like to play or care about the timeout game, it's like it's it's more of a big thing in football than it is in basketball when coaches use their three timeouts in the NFL and how to use them strategically and how to save them for the end of a half or something like that or the end of a game. Mike Brown's like, I'm not going to worry about saving them for the end of the game because by the end of the game, I expect to be up 20, 30 points because I'm going to I'm going to nip this in the bud right now. And he did that not once, not twice in three out of the four quarters. I love to see that. And it makes me more excited to see that and less worried about the fact that he had to do that three times with in general, the, the, the same groups. I'm a fan. I like the philosophy for sure. I love the questions that you asked in the follow up of um, that, that you mentioned of like, well, do you worry about not having enough timeouts later in the game? And, and Mike's response that you pointed out of, listen, if we don't correct this shit, late game isn't going to matter anyways. Right. Um, and one of the quotes that I pulled from Brown um, in the initial part when you asked that question was, quote, it's part of my job to make sure that there's no detail that's too small for us. And I think they appreciate that at the end of the day, end quote. And to me, this is just like what setting a culture and holding guys accountable looks like. It, it's tiny details that if you nip it in the bud right away, um, that you can just limit the amount of state mistakes that you're making throughout the course of a game. I think one of them was they were in too deep of a drop on like a Simons pick and roll and, and he hit a pull up three. And then from there it was, okay, Domas, you're going to play a lot higher on that screen. And we saw him take that shot away. There was one that Malik Monk got beat back door and it looked like he probably got a talking to right afterwards. Um, there was one, we talked to Terrence Davis. I think you asked him a similar question about these, these timeouts and, I think your wording was don't give away any secrets, but can you kind of tell us what that was like um, when coach was getting into you? And TD mentioned he came out there and he had three possessions that he made mistakes and he walked through the three mistakes, um, which is also a little different, by the way, yes, I thought for TD to sit there and say, this is what I did wrong. This is what I did wrong. This is what I did wrong. And coach said the quote that I have pulled from TD was uh, co uh, quote, he being coach is going to let you know if you're out of order. Uh, he has high expectations for all of us. Anytime you don't meet that standard, he's going to let you know for sure, end quote. And I, I think that we've seen Mike Brown hold guys accountable a lot, and it's everyone. Like, we saw him have a conversation with De'Aaron Fox at one point. He had a foul. He called him over in the middle of uh, Portland shooting free throws and have a conversation. And, like, 
having that expectation and level of accountability for everyone top down when it comes to roster. Um, I, I think for himself and the rest of his coaching staff, front office, like to me, this is what setting a culture looks like. And what I love about that too is Terrence says that with a smile and De'Aaron says it with a smile. I remember we talked to Steph Curry at the American Century Link uh, Celebrity Golf Championship in Tahoe when Mike was hired and Steph said with a smile, like there's going to be accountability. He's going to hold you accountable. Like that to me is the epitome of Mike Brown. Mike Brown can be a hard ass and get on you when he needs to. We saw in practice him pull Davion Mitchell in front of the entire team and, and, and coach him in front of the entire team, hold him accountable. And he wasn't blaming Davion. And I think after that moment, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Malik Monk walked up to him as they were walking to the baseline to, to do their free throws or run sprints drill. And, and Malik also said, it's not just on you. It's on, it's on all of us. Like to me, that's the difference between a player's coach and a respected coach. Like, Mike Brown compared to Luke Walton is night and day difference. And I, I liked Luke Walton. A lot of players liked Luke Walton. He got kind of a bad rap here. I don't think he got a completely fair shake here in Sacramento. The Kings made a massive mistake by not firing him last offseason and, and waiting as long as they did, whatever that's in the past. My point is, when the Kings hired Luke Walton, there was all this talk about how he is a player's coach compared to Dave Yeager. But there was no accountability with Walton or when he tried to hold players accountable, it fell through like with Buddy Heald, for example, he benched Buddy Heald, had a really short leash with Buddy Heald at times, didn't like his shot selection. Suddenly that turned into Buddy Heald has the green light and can do anything he wants. Like that's, that's what it became pretty quickly versus Mike Brown. It's like, no, I'll call you out. I'll pull you out. I will get in you, but you respect me enough to listen. And that's what jumps off the page is, Terrence Davis clearly takes what Mike Brown has to say to heart. De'Aaron Fox clearly takes what Mike Brown has to say to heart. Now, I want to see this tested over the course of a year. I still really want to see, Brendan, what this team looks like and how they respond when they do finally get punched in the mouth because there's going to be a night where either offensively or defensively, this team is awful. There's going to be a time where they're in a game where they're on the wrong end of like a 10-0 run, and there's going to be a time where in the season, maybe they're on a two or three game losing streak. How do they respond to that? Does Mike Brown lose his charm a little bit or do they still believe in him and buy into what he's saying and come through that tunnel together? Like that's, I'm very interested to see that because of course, even with this team looking as good as they've looked in two preseason games, we know that this is a team that's going to be battling for one of the bottom playoff spots in the Western Conference. This is not a team that's going to be vaulted into the uh, top of the Western Conference conversation just because of how great and how happy they are in training camp. I'm glad you pointed out how much all these guys seem to appreciate and just be on board with the criticism and smite like detail fixing that, that Mike Brown is, is clearly doing all the time because nobody's taking it personally um, kind of like you're pointing out. And it seems like it's happening with every single player. It happens from the top down and it's happening for the purpose of not singling someone out, but, listen, we all need to be doing all these things right if we want to win as many games as possible, which is what we're all here for. So I, I think that they all understand that there's the same goal in mind and there does feel a bit like there's some continuity. But as you pointed out, we're going to need to see how they re respond to adversity, something that Mike Brown has highlighted as well. Like it's expected, you know, it's going to happen at some point and no mm -hmm. team doesn't deal with that at some point. And that's when you really find out the character of a team. So we're going to have to wait and see. Um, one of the final things I want to touch on here before we get out of here is just some of like notes on the rotation. And this is probably going to be overreactions, to be honest, because we're still dealing with a two game, two pre preseason game sample size, but it's what we're working with. Um, so I, I think it's notable to kind of highlight a couple things. I think that Terrence Davis playing over Trey Lyles in that second unit was interesting. Mm. To me, it could be a function of it just being a smaller team that the Kings were up against. Uh, big size difference between Portland and L.A. Um, Portland does a lot of three-guard lineups, so a bench unit being Davion Mitchell, Malik Monk, Terrence Davis, and then Keegan Murray at the four, and then it was Alex Len at the five um, because Rashawn Holmes was unavailable. There was also moments that Chemezi Metsu played the five, and he almost seemed to be like the third-string center before they looked to Kata for a little while, which is something that Mike Brown teased a little bit um, coming into this game, but I would think that that's just a function of Holmes not being available. I don't think it's something we'll see all too often down the line. Um, and then the three guys that did not play, 
were outside of Holmes, who was unavailable, obviously, were Chima Moneki, Quinn Cook, and Sam Merrill. And I think that's of note. There's three guys that are going to have to be cut from this roster before the start of the regular season. And honestly, those are three guys that would make a lot of sense. I, I feel like Sam Merrill has no disrespect to Sam. I kind of feel like he's the 20th guy on this roster. Um, and then after it, it seems like there's been, we've had conversations about uh, Quinn cook versus Matthew Delavadova. To me, that feels like one of the cuts cook or Delavadova. And I think it's notable that Delhi is playing over, over cook last night. And then you could see, Moneki being the odd guy out there's like a Moneki Bazemore sort of Trey Lyles is maybe in this conversation I'm sorry Chemezi Metu is maybe in this conversation of who is that final cut but I thought it was interesting that those three guys didn't play um, I know you mentioned like Fox and Monk not playing much together if you want to talk about that or is there any other rotation stuff that stood out to you last night no, I'm on the same page as a lot of your observations, too, because when Mike shared with us that he's going to cut his rotations down to 13, 15 guys, and even last night, I think he, what did he end up playing, 17, right? So I, I think his rotation was even bigger than he expected, mostly because the Kings were beating the living crap out of the, the Trailblazers, and he could afford to empty the bench at that point. I think maybe he was planning on playing his 8 to 10 guy rotation a little bit more than even what they did. Um so it, it it does seem that I think there's two easy cuts to make at this point. I think it's Quinn Cook and Sam Merrill. Um, I'm a fan of Chima Maneke, the personality. I don't really know much about Chima Maneke, the player, for other than the highlights that I've seen of him overseas and, of course, his time at UC Davis. I don't know if maybe there's a future for him in Stockton with the uh, with the Stockton Kings and we can get an opportunity to see what he can do there. Um, but... I, I have wanted to see a little bit more of him. And uh, I'm, I'm a little disappointed that we haven't seen that. Um, like Keon Ellis and the Mias Kato, we know are two-way guys. So no matter what their playing time looks like, we know what they're doing. And, and I think Keon had a nice little uh, 360 or reverse dunk at the, end of the, uh, at the end of the game. And I actually talked to Keon briefly in the locker room as he was leaving. And I asked him, I was like, can you see the intro videos from when you're sitting on the bench during or standing in that, that the tunnel during lineups. And he said, yeah, I can kind of see it, but, but not really. And I was like, did you see the intro video that they played before? Like they, they showed it or was that your first time seeing it? He's like, no, that was my first time seeing it. I was like, then what do you think about you literally being the first face on the screen during that intro? Like, and, and I don't know if I'm, I'm guessing TV audiences or, or internet audiences or whatever didn't see it. But for those in attendance, like they always do ph phenomenal intro videos. This one had a very like training camp vibe to it. Guys lifting weights and uh, and going through drills and just putting in the work. And the first face on the screen is Keon Ellis at media day, which I thought was I was like, cool. I like it. I like Keon. So. Uh, I don't know how I got off on that tangent, but just something that was that was fun that stood out to me. And, and Keon's a great personality too. So I don't. You don't, I don't have know to apologize read... for a Keon Ellis tangent. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I read too far into really anything. Um, I want personally, I want to see Chima Maneki more, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's the cut. Uh, and then, of course, I want to see Malik Monk and De'Aaron Fox more together. I wonder if that's something that that um, he, that Mike Brown is saving for the regular season or. Like Kevin Herter has been so good and De'Aaron and Kevin Herter have played so well together that maybe that's just going to be the backcourt partnership for the majority. And Malik is going to be that volume scorer, which he hit like back to back deep threes at one point in the third quarter. And I tweeted out like, watch out, this guy can get going in a hurry. And then Terrence Davis hit like back to back threes. And then Trey Lyles hit back to back threes. So just the depth of this roster is so exciting as well. Uh, that's really what stood out to me. I would like to see more Chima also, but I feel like it's somewhat selfishly in a way. I, I feel like for all of us, we haven't yes. seen enough Chima. 100%. But I'm sure that they have behind closed doors throughout the course of this training camp and, and prior to that. You know, they have pre-built relationships with Chima. I think Chima has a decent relationship with Jordy Fernandez that he's highlighted and obviously with Mike Brown as well. Um, so I think they've, I, I'm going to trust their opinion on Chima, but I would love to see more of him in the context of this game for sure also wouldn't surprise me if he was one of the three eventual cuts but we'll have to wait and see um i think that fox and herder and then monk and mitchell work really well as pairings i think yeah. those two duos make a lot of sense together and that could be something that we see th those 
pairings kind of stick together. I, there was also, cause I guess, since I pointed out in game one, uh, there was no staggering of Fox or Sabonis. They did stagger those guys in this game. I think kind of as expected, I think that's going to be something that we see throughout the course of the year. Not very many moments where neither one of them are on the floor. And I think that's what we saw until they both ended up not playing midway through the third quarter is kind of when they ended up sitting. Um, Sabonis played really well, by the way, when Fox was out of the game at the end of the first quarter and early second quarter, Sabonis really stepped up. That's when he had his big dunk off the Davion Mitchell pick and roll. Um, and he scored like six or seven points during that stretch, too, which I think is going to be really important. So it was good to see Sabonis kind of say, OK, after touching the ball, all five possessions and just handing off to guards like this is my opportunity uh, to really get going. The team needs me to score in these moments. So it was good to see him step up in that way, too, even if it's a very small sample size. You talked about Keegan just kind of casually get putting up numbers. I mean, Domas <laughs> does the same thing. Like, yes, he does. Tw- 23 minutes, and it's like, oh, this guy had 13 points, seven boards, and four assists on four of eight from the field. Like, he just very casually is effective and impactful. I thought he's been pretty solid defensively. I haven't felt like there's been a moment throughout the course of these games where I'm like, oh, man, the Kings are really hurting from not having any rim protection on this team. I thought the rotations have been pretty solid. Um, and it's a team effort, but Domas being the back line of that defense, I thought he's done a pretty solid job. Um, and then I guess my last takeaway before we get out of here, Matt, is um, in an overreaction to this being the only Portland game I've seen so far, the team does not look great. Um, they could no. not shoot to save their life. And the depth, I think, was a known issue because after Dame and Simons and, and their starting five is solid of Lillard, Simons, Grant, um, Hart and Nurkic. I think that five is really solid. I think that when you have your bench then being Nasir Little, um, Gary Payton, after that, I don't know who you're relying on. You know, like can Keon Johnson or, or Shaden Sharp or Justice Winslow become okay parts of your rotation? I don't really know. Like this is a team that Sacramento's probably, in my mind, this is who they're competing with for that 10 spot, one of the teams that they're in the same tier as. And I thought it was interesting to get a first look at them, and they honestly looked horrible. Yeah, I think they're going to look better on open night, significantly better. Maybe Dame is just going to say, you know what, damn it, I'm going to do it all myself. Um, I was disappointed with Shaden Sharp, to be honest with you. Like, I, I just wanted to see a little bit more, and he played really, really well in his initial, like, Trailblazers debut. I think it was his debut. And it might have been against, like, Maccabi Haifa or something. Um, but he, he, he looked really good in that game. And I, I just, I wanted to see more of Sharp, but he barely played except for the second half. He did have like eight points in like 13 minutes or something like that. I don't have the box score open in front of me. So he did fine, but the, the main takeaway that I had, and this isn't surprising, but like you compare Keegan Murray to Shaden Sharp and it's like night and day difference. But I also expected that because Sharp is significantly younger than Murray. Sharp has barely played over the last two years. Keegan Murray was arguably one of the best players, if not the best player in college basketball last year. So it's, it's to me, a reminder, again, not an I told you so thing, but a reminder that the Kings made the absolute right choice for their circumstance. They got a guy that's going to be an immediate impact player who... I remember some people rolling their eyes when Monty McNair said they thought he was the best talent available at number four. So far, all indicators point to they were onto something there. And I was I was of the same belief uh, at that time, too, even if I expect Jaden Ivey to have a great career, even if I think Shaden Sharp's going to have a great career as well. Like I think, and I tweeted this out last night, as good of numbers as Paulo Bancaro is going to put up for through the Magic, as good of numbers as maybe... Uh, Jabari Smith Jr. is going to put up for the Houston Rockets at times. Like, I think at some point during this season, Keegan Murray is going to be the favorite to win rookie of the year. And I, and it's not just because it because of the numbers that he's putting up. It's going to be the fact because he's putting up numbers on a winning team or a significantly improved team. And that to me is the difference. So when I watch Shaden Sharp play and him kind of just look like, okay, I don't really know what to do. I'm just going to get mine. And here I am ho-hum versus Keegan Murray, every time he's in the game, there's a purpose there and there's a reliance upon him to hit those open shots. Like that jumps off the page to me too. It's hard to deny that Keegan was the right pick for their context. Um, I was notably not, it's not who I would have taken. And I think for their goal that Keegan is, is clearly been the right pick. And I hate that we still have to have this asterisk of it's just preseason and we had to have the whole it's it's just summer league. I can't wait to not have this asterisk anymore because everything he's doing feels like it's going to translate. I, I don't think there's any reason to think that 
these are outlier scenarios that we're dealing with with Keegan or anything like that, all within the flow of the offense, as we've talked about. Um, and I think this is just what he does and and what he is. So I, I think that it absolutely is looking like the right pick for Monty McNair in that front office. And Keegan is is going to be a seamless fit on this team now and moving forward. And we'll see how much he's asked upon and if he can be a, a real part of that uh, rookie of the year conversation like we kind of expect him to. But any final thoughts before we get out of here, Matt? I'm looking forward to the game against Phoenix to see still what is consistent and what is not. And then what are we nine days away now from the actual home opener against the Blazers? So I was, I was pretty pleased and impressed with the crowd at the golden one center last night. They always make good noise. I'm expecting a, a very, very, very sold out, hyped, excited arena uh, for that home opener. So, I mean, my impatience was at least, uh, I, I, I got some relief last night with actually watching Kings basketball, but Man, I can't wait for these games to really count because I think Sacramento, even with their difficult start to the season, I think Sacramento is ready to turn some heads right out of the gate. I'm antsy. I'm ready to get this going, too. <laughs> I had a really good time being back at Golden One yesterday, um, and I'm, I'm sure most of the fans did, too, that were in the building. It was hard not to, for sure. It was a good opening night. When it comes to preseason, hopefully they can replicate some of the same opening night when they play the same Blazers roster at the start of the regular season and throughout the course of the year as they try to end this playoff drought. But everyone listening, that is Matt George, as I'm sure everyone's aware, but anyone not, um, at Matt George Sack on Twitter, of ABC10 and the Locked on Kings podcast. Um, check out all the work from myself and all the other great guys and gals at the Kings Herald and take a look at their Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Pulse podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review, and hear from me again in the next couple of days.